You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. Good morning. How are you all doing? I don't know if I'm a special guest. I am a guest. And um, amen. I have such a burden on my heart for the church to understand the world. I'm going to talk about the signs of our times. And uh, Jesus used this idea. It's used in the Bible a few times. And the few times that it shows up, it's quite significant. We have about uh, 250 students studying on campus and about another 90 or 100 students studying online. And uh, you, you can finish your whole degree online. You can take one course, five courses, 10. You can take uh, 40 courses to get your degree. More and more God is calling people, mid-career people, second-career people, uh, young moms and young dads, calling them into ministry. And uh, so I just, uh, I have a heart to bring the ministry of Vanguard, bring students to Vanguard, but bring Vanguard to students, however we can do that. I was, uh, I was talking to a very special second-year student whose name is Drew Dirksen. And uh, he comes into my office and he goes, uh, yeah, he said, I just watched a, a uh, podcast uh, about the, Vir- the governor of Virginia who is, uh, I don't know if he was advocating a bill or if he was talking about proposing a bill for post-birth abortions. Hmm. For somebody that was born in 19... a while ago, <laughs> the, th- the thought of that is hard to digest. It's not for much of our world. It's just not. And one of the reasons is, is that we've we as a church have lost our influence and our credibility. We've lost our credibility to speak and we've lost our influence in our culture and culture is just overwhelming us. And I see the influence of culture in the lives of Christian young people who are coming to Vanguard College who are so immersed and overwhelmed by the influences of their culture that the the things that you, some of us, take for granted about our Bible and about who God is and about what his word says, the things that we take for granted, they don't. They don't. And it's our, it's our duty and obligation to speak relevant words to our world. You can be a Christian and be obnoxious in your culture. You can be a Christian, not know how to communicate Jesus appropriately to your neighbors, 
You can be a Christian teacher and not be able to influence your students. The language of 1950s Christianity doesn't work today. It doesn't. So often the forms... So 1950s Christianity had a pervasive influence in our culture at a time when perhaps 60% of people in our culture went to church on a Sunday morning. Today it's less than 10%. And in evangelical churches, it's way lower than that. So 1950s Christianity just doesn't work anymore. Now, now hear me right. There are absolute timeless truths that are unchanging. But the way that we talk about them to our culture has to change all the time. The flip side of that is I need to understand where my neighbor's coming from. I need to understand where a 17-year-old raised in secular culture, public education, totally non-churched, only knows Jesus is a swear. I need to understand how they think. If I'm going to connect with them in a meaningful way, I need to understand them. So I'm not going to talk about this today. In fact, I doubt I'm going to get through my notes today. But you watch Jesus and how he engages with all kinds of people. And he just gets them immediately. He just gets where they're coming from. And he says a sentence or a little paragraph. And they just become his followers. I think that's the language you and I need to learn. So let's go into this morning and into the rest of our life wanting to learn. So God, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom to know my world. Give me wisdom to understand my friends, my neighbors, the 14-year-old that lives next door that connects with my kid, the people that I want to reach for Jesus. Help me to understand what's going on in the gearbox. And what are the voices that have spoken into their life? What are the voices that have spoken into the life of culture that allows a governor of a state to advocate for post-birth abortion? Because you see, I think the gospel has the power to change lives. So Lord, I, just, I do pray that I would have a heart of a learner and uh, whatever you, however far we get through my notes today, God, help us just at least to be sensitive to the call of the Holy Spirit to know the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, what do we mean the signs of our times? Well, evidence of, evidence of the condition of culture. Where's our world at? How does God feel about the world? How does the world feel about God? The signs of our times are all around us. They're around us in society, culture, sociologically, politically. Educationally, media and entertainment, 
If you, if you step back in, in, in entertainment, in secular, in, in cultural entertainment, if you step back for a moment from being entertained to being a bit of a critic, an analyst of it, of course, you, you discern threads and themes that run through politics and culture and social media and education and all kinds of things. So those are signs. Those are signs that we want to pay attention to. How are people thinking? What values drive people? What are people's responses to issues of faith and religion? So I, I want to also ask the question, when I say, what do you mean? I want to ask the question, if there are signs, and apparently if Jesus said there are signs, then there are signs. If there are signs, what does it mean that there are signs? Well, I think it means about four things. It's evidence of the condition of the world before God. Um, so if you came in this morning and your nose is running and your head is pounding and you can't breathe and you're sick and tired and you're sitting here going, I wish this guy would just talk quietly so I'd go to sleep, you're probably sick. You've listened to the signs. Now, the signs tell you about something else that something else is going on. So when we look at the signs of the times, we have to look at what else is going on. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. So signs are evidence of the condition of the world before God. If there are signs in our world, secondly, it means that God cares about the world. He loves the world. John 3.16, God so loved Okay, so there are signs around us. This is true whether you're in downtown Edmonton or Calgary or New York City or Coal Lake. These signs are everywhere. And if there are signs about the world, God then cares about the world. So I should too. So I pray a lot, God, give me your heart. In fact, let my heart be consumed with your heart so I care about what you care about. God cares about the world, so I should too. It's third, an indication of the world's disposition to God. I don't think any of us have to look very far to understand how our world, our culture today feels about God, thinks about God. And fourth, if there are signs around us, it's evident that God is already at work. God's working in our culture. So I, I do my ministry. I lead this college and prepare people for ministry under the assumption that God's going to do something wonderful and amazing and powerful in our world today. That's the only way I can live. So yeah, I'm, I'm getting students and, and, and leaders in the church ready for ministry, but I'm also expecting God to do something totally incredible and incomprehensible. Because I think God is working in our world today. 
So that's what I mean when I talk about the signs of the times. Well, let's look at the biblical idea of the signs of the times. We're going to go through a little bit of Matthew chapter 16. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. We'll just pick a section of it, but I'll read the first four verses. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came in testing Jesus. They asked him to show us a sign from heaven. Like, like Elijah, the Mount Carmel. Like fire from heaven. Pick a Roman, burn him up. Like that kind of a sign. Raise somebody from the dead. Not knowing, not realizing, of course, Jesus has done all this. Heal lepers, blind eyes opened, lame people walk, dead people, like, but they go show us a sign. He replied to them, this is so, it's a meteorological metaphor that he picks. When it's evening, you say it will be fair weather today because the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today because the sky is dark and threatening. He says, you know how to discern the appearance of the sky. But how is it that you can't discern the signs of the times? He's talking to the religious people. The church, his church of the day. So I hear that for me. I hear that for us. An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. So, okay, um, don't know what your background is, your tradition. Um, I was raised General Conference Mennonite, and became Mennonite Brethren, then spent time in a Baptist church, then moved over to the Alliance, and eventually now I'm Pentecostal. Okay. Pentecostals love signs and wonders. We do. And because we believe God does that. And I've seen God do great and awesome things. I've seen God heal people miraculously. I've seen God turn the weather just like that. I've seen God answer to prayer so often. But I'm also hearing here a warning from Jesus. When you start seeking signs and you're blind to the signs around you, you're evil and unfaithful. That's an ouch right here. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. No, I, like, listen, I, there's no guilt in this. For me, it's just the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. Pay attention to your world. Understand how it works. Now, don't get in so deep that you get overwhelmed by it. Don't let it take over your thinking. Don't let it take over your heart. But man, just understand it. I can understand how an internal combustion engine works without getting inside it and having me blown up when it fires. Well, that's, that's to be my relationship with culture. I've got to understand how it works and the influence that it has on people. And it has influence on people now when, when kids are watching TV and they're, they're two and a half and three years old. And then they're going to preschool. And all of a sudden, culture starts just getting poured out into our kids. And, and now with every, all this junk that's on the internet, by the time they're six, seven, eight years old, they've seen things that no adult should ever see in their whole life. And they're just not emotionally prepared to deal with it. And so often it leaves them scarred, wounded, broken, 
for 50 years of their life unless Jesus comes in and begins a work of healing and restoration. That's another sermon. But that's the reality of it. So I need to be aware. If you're, you're a mop here this morning or a dop here this morning, you need to figure out what kind of influences are getting poured out into your kids. Kids learn things. My kid came home four years old one day from preschool swearing his head off. Totally innocently. Where did you learn that? It was Thomas taught me. Real proud. I go, well, we don't do that, and here's why. They, they, they'll learn. And they will learn subconsciously. So be very careful about the voices that are speaking into the lives of your and, uh, kids. And, and grandparents, you can be so profoundly and powerfully influential in the lives of kids. I mean, your kids get to this stage in their life where mom and dad are like, wah, wah, wah. They're talking, you know, and it's like, I know your lips are moving, but I'm not listening to you. But man, grandpa and grandma, you, you just, you reinforce truths. And you have Christian friends and Christian contacts. Not your only context, but your closest context. Faith in the Word of God and prayer. God will keep any kid in any culture under any conditions pure and holy for his name under those conditions. We never have to fear and run away and hide and isolate ourselves from culture and the world. We just trust ourselves in the keeping power of the Holy Spirit of God and, and live wisely. Man, I am not going to get through this. 1 Chronicles 12, 32, uh, men, of, men of war are coming together. And it talks about the tribe of Issachar. And it says, and it's just, it's really neat how it picks out this tribe. And it says one descriptive thing about them. And it says, men who understood the times. And they knew how Israel was supposed to act. And then it goes on, it just keeps numbering everybody. Well, that's a pretty special attribute and quality. In Esther, in the book of Esther, King Ahasuerus, you know, his, his wife before Esther, uh, just naughty woman, right? And uh, he needed to know how to deal with her. And so the Bible says that he called wise men who understood the times. And what that means is they knew their culture. And they knew how her actions would speak to culture and how culture would interpret her actions. And they guided the king wisely through that experience. So the Bible talks about signs of the times, being aware of our culture. Now, if you forget everything I say today, remember this line. Jesus is the sign of all time. And the reason I know that's true is because he's talking to the pastors and district superintendents of the day. Right? So my grandpa would say, verstehen Sie Deutsch. You get it? You get it? You understand? He's talking to people like me, Mark, Hayward, Gary Tatinger. They're all there. Show us a sign, they say. 
And he goes, you know how to tell the weather from looking at the sky, but you can't discern the signs of the times. And the biggest sign is that the Son of God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, is standing right in front of them, and they can't see it. They can't see it. Can't see him. Hardness, blindness. So I pray, God, keep me from blindness because I want to see where you're working in the world today. In fact, what I want to do is when I go to Tim Hortons to meet two or three of my buddies that I work with, I want to discern how you're working in their life. When I get together with the moms at my play group, and they start telling me their trouble and the pain and the difficulty and the grief, God, I want to discern your presence in that moment. I want to be sensitive to you. I'm not going to take my Christian witness and package it and, and, and wrap it all up and shove it down their throat. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not. I want to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So these people were wanting all kinds of signs. They were leading big churches, men of tremendous power and influence, and they couldn't see God standing right in front of them. Jesus is a sign for all times, and he is today. He is today. Okay, let's look at some of the signs of our times. You know, you just go through this and you realize I've got four sermons in here. So we'll try and move a little bit, uh, a little bit more quickly. Um, so don't worry about uh, all the words I'm going to use. They are real words and I need to use them because they describe actually what's going on. And there are no other titles to use. So I got to use them. You know, if a word fits, you use it. If it doesn't, chuck it out. All right. You heard that word before? So one of the primary influences of postmodernism, and I'll explain what I say when I say this, is it robs young people, robs culture of the idea of a meta-narrative. Now, you don't mind if I put my foot up. You're okay. You know what a meta-narrative is? It's a big story means big story. Our Bible is based on a big story. Now, if there's a story, then there's what? A storyteller. You can't have a story without a storyteller. You can't have a watch without a watchmaker. Postmodernism is telling the world that there's no big story. And if there's no big story, there's no storyteller. Hmm. It, you, you, when, you, when you let your mind think about that idea, all of a sudden, all the boundaries in your life and your mind, they just like, they're gone. And life becomes chaos. Because there's no meaning, there's no purpose, there's no truth, there are no absolutes. That is the world of a 14, 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old today. They are just wandering through life. They don't have a sense that there's a big meaning and a big purpose to their life. And I need to understand that when I talk to them. This is true even of students that were raised in our churches, and by our churches, I mean 
Bible teaching Baptist, Mennonite, Pentecostal, Christian Missionary Alliance, Bible teaching churches. There are students who grow up in Christian homes, good Christian homes with good marriages, who are profoundly influenced by postmodernism. And it's not uncommon to meet a young person who was raised in church with godly parents who don't know that it's wrong to have sex before marriage. They don't know that. They might have heard it, but they disagree with it. Well, postmodernism's planted these seeds and robbed them of the big story and the storyteller behind life. And so part of theological education today, preparing somebody for ministry, is trying to put the pieces all together and, 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 and get them to experience the profound story in the Word of God. That it all ties together, that there's a big purpose and a grand design. So we'll reintroduce to them the idea that there is a meta-narrative. There is a big story. And if there's a big story, there's an incredibly great and big storyteller who's in control, who is true, who tells the truth, there is right and wrong, and you can build your life upon it. So we've redesigned our entire curriculum because of what the culture has done to our young people. It's been a two-year process. Now, Postmodernism is the child of these other things and also the parent. It, they're just like family members of all the rest of these words. Subjectivism. Hey man, it works for me, but it doesn't work. If it doesn't work for you, that's okay too. Oh. Jesus works for you? Does Jesus work for you? That is awesome. Doesn't work for me. So I'll go my way, you go your way. Subjectivism. What it means is that there's no such thing as truth. It's however I want to interpret my reality. And you let me just do that. That's the world of our children and youth and young adults today. I'll zip through these. Pluralism. Um, historically, all roads lead to Rome. Pluralism. Every truth has a contribution to make, but they're not necessarily connected and no one's better than the other one. So hey, if that's the road you're on, you go down it. I'm going down a different road. And we're finding that so many, even parents in our churches today who love Jesus and love the Word of God are hearing that out of the mouths of their children who are growing up in church. They are. One of the reasons is, is that we've gone away from biblical <coughs> instruction. I don't know what you do for kids' ministry, and I, I want to be super careful here, but your kids' ministry can't be entertainment time. Now, it's got to be engaging, got to be fun, but man, the Bible is awesome. And great stories. And profound truths. And we need to teach these to our kids as soon as they can start to speak. 
pragmatism. If something works, it's good. If it doesn't, chuck it out. If something works for me, it's good. I'll keep it. If it doesn't work for me, I'll chuck it out. This is the world of our youth and young adults today. Hey man, you know, if that works for you, you go down that road, don't talk to me about it. I don't, I don't want anything to do with it. Tried it, doesn't work. Tried prayer, doesn't work. Tried church, didn't work. Tried Jesus, didn't work. Relativism. Is relative meaning. Everything is subjective. These things are not necessarily all connected. There's a randomness because of this. There's a randomness that has been injected into our world. Now let me just tell you something if you like philosophy. Postmodernism is an idea, okay? It actually never works. Randomness doesn't work. So a guy comes in and says, I built a postmodern house. Here's a stairway. It just doesn't go anywhere. Here's a doorway. I open it and there's a wall behind it. But the question is, what did you do for your foundation? Because you can't, because you can't build a postmodern house with a postmodern foundation because it just falls down immediately. You've got to build a foundation according to the principles of physics and design. Otherwise, the whole thing falls down. That is what postmodernism is in our culture. People are all on board and they're all excited about it and they're going down the road. The only problem is it just doesn't work. We use words. Now, are you, I'll illustrate. Are you kind of following me this morning? You hearing what I'm saying? That means postmodernism doesn't work. Because if postmodernism really works, then my words can mean what they mean to me, but they don't have to mean that to you. That's just total nonsense. We communicate on the ground that there is real meaning behind things. There is a reality behind words. That's how we communicate and connect. Postmodernism can't do that. I could say coffee, and you could have in your mind a picture of a bagel, but you don't. Do you understand now, postmodernism, it's a total lie. Totally. Materialism. Now, we have to be careful here because we're getting into things that start affecting us in the church. Materialism teaches you that only material things matter. Spiritual things, metaphysical things don't matter at all. So the truth is that materialism has slipped into the culture of the church. It has. Now the one very interesting thing is here is that part of postmodernism is a total disillusionment with modernism. And the rationalism and materialism that my generation grew up with I went to I graduated my high school class was 96 people. 
in my graduating class a couple years ago. 96 people. Do you know how many became doctors? 36 of them. Guy that originated Walkbox, guy I graduated high school with. Kelsey's, guy I graduated high school with. I had a really high achieving class. They're all about money. I had a friend, he's 52, he just retired. Doesn't know what to do with the rest of his life. But see, one of the good things about postmodernism is it's really, it's taken away from this younger generation a confidence in materialism. They are actually ready for something real. Something of the heart that stuff and money can't give them. And you can begin to see signs where actually, I got to say this, God is using this to prepare people for the gospel. I'm not going to talk about that today. But God is sovereign. God has never lost control. And God can take all of these negatives and turn them into opportunities for the working of the Holy Spirit of God. I just need to understand how that's going to happen. All right. Revisionism. This is something that's in the church. It's not so much in culture. Oh, that is a little bit. What did marriage mean in 1952? Meant forever. What did it mean, though? A man and a woman. No debate. Like, no debate. Maybe in the, like the furthest, furthest fringes of culture. Doesn't mean that today. So they've taken the word and they've revised what it means. And revisionism has crept even into the evangelical church. And things don't mean today what they used to mean. Truth and teaching and things that God revealed that we assumed for 1975 years no longer mean what they meant for almost 2,000 years. That's revisionism. So these are all building blocks in our culture, and they have tremendous influence. First of all, they have influence on people's morality. I mean, if you build your morality on the Word of God, it's going to look like this. You're going to have things in there. Can't do that. But when you don't have those boundaries... Like our, our children and youth and young adults are growing with a boundaryless culture. What do you do with your morality? You become pragmatic. If it works for you, good. Or you become even more pragmatic, and terrifyingly so. If it feels good, go for it. Ethics. How do you behave yourself? Well, I'm skipping work for a week because I'm not, just not feeling, uh, you know what, it's just a mental health week for me. Um, but uh, I'm not telling you a story. Like, it's not my story. This is, I'm illustrating. 
okay? I'm kind of my own boss, so it doesn't work. But I don't need to tell my boss because he doesn't need to know. I'm sick, I'm in bed, I'm in a blood, you know, but I'm golfing or skiing or, you know. Because why should I tell him? What's telling me I have to tell him or her? So I don't. Some of you that run businesses, you might have people that think this way that work for you. Don't, don't get on them, but don't get on them because you're mean. Get on them because they need to be challenged in their ethic. Oh, brother. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get through this because I'm, not, I'm, I'm about a quarter of the way through. Truth. Like, one of the great bedrocks of Christian life is that there is such a thing as truth. And it actually works, and I can build my life on it. But in a postmodern world, truth is subjective and relative and pragmatic. And my truth is different from your truth. So there is no truth. I don't know what it is. Facts? Opinions. That's what it is. Opinions. So everybody's got an opinion, and mine's just as valid as yours. That's the world that our kids are growing up in. This is the mindset being built into the lives of our young adults. It affects our values. What are, the, what are the things upon which I make decisions? What do I do with my money? What do I do with my time? What do I pursue? It affects people's convictions, core convictions. And convictions can change just like that. I can have a conviction this minute, five minutes later, it's totally gone. You have, you, you have a conversation with a true postmodern. They are like a ship in a storm. One minute they're here, and the next minute they're over there, and you're going, I can't even connect the dots. But they don't care about connecting the dots. So be careful how you talk to them. Don't confront them on that. Don't tell them you just don't make sense when you talk. Don't tell them that. Find the moments that the Holy Spirit brings up. All right. Uh, the result of all of the postmodernism and revisionism and all those things and the influence on it is there's rampant individualism in our culture. It's all about me. Me becomes the key word. Certainly not God and certainly not us. Which is why a church community actually can provide something that postmodernism and culture cannot provide. People that love them, people that care about them, people that are meaningful in their life. This idea about online church that you just join in every Sunday morning online, it goes on all the time. Now, there's a place for it in terms of reaching people. But believe me, we need to connect, right? Like, we need to connect. Sure. Meaningful relationships. And postmodernists crave deeply meaningful relationships. Get to know young people. Get to know your neighbors. Get to know them. You might not, you might think so differently from them. They might be in a totally different headspace from you. I don't care. People need people. This impacts people's social action. Social action's big. Social justice. And they will be up in arms about one cause, and the next minute they'll be up in arms about another cause, not realizing that both of those causes actually are in contradiction to each other. But postmodernists don't worry about that. Political persuasion, tremendous influence, and 
Highly successful political parties know how to manipulate social media to capitalize on postmodernists. That's why we don't always get the best leader, we get the best social media. God help us. Education, it influences their education, the kind of education they seek and the experience of their education that they were in. Uh, it impacts their relationships, the nature of their relationships, the meaningfulness of the, their relationships. Postmodernity, because it's up and down and here and there and a little bit of this, a little bit of that and everything, relationships tend to be very superficial. It really impacts people's sexuality. This is the number one sign in our culture of where we're at. It's also the number one sign in the Word of God. The Bible talks about sexuality as much as anything else. Accountability. Who am I accountable to? There's no big story. There's no storyteller. I don't even have a story. I'm my own storyteller, so I'll answer to me. That's the mind of a postmodern. And I need to understand that, who they are. And conscience. In order for postmodernism truly to work, conscience literally has to be seared. It has to be. And it takes a work of the Holy Spirit to begin to move somebody that's been so influenced by their world. So, postmodernism is in direct contrast to the Word of God. It is contrary to God. It is anti-God. It is antichrist. It's antichrist. There is absolute truth. These things the Bible tells us, these things we've experienced when we met Jesus. There's absolute right and wrong. I'm going to be done after the next slide, I promise. We'll leave the rest for the next time I come out. Okay? There is purpose and design for your life. And if you're here today, listen friends, if you're here today and you wrestle with that distress in your heart about what your life is amounting to and all the things that are the noises and the voices in your life that are leading you to such confusion and anxiety, God called you, He created you, He has a purpose for you. He wants to make a difference in your life. And you and, you and I are accountable to Him. I'm going to answer to God someday. The consequence. Now here are the signs, and with this I'm going to end. I, I promise. Here are the signs. And as I go through these signs, you'll recognize they are everywhere. Loss of meaning and purpose. Why am I here? Like, well, why am I here? Anxiety. Postmodernism and all of those things, they just they create such a stress on the God-stamped image that's on the heart of people. I mean, it's just it's a fight internally. It so often leads to high anxiety. Stress. 
These are signs in our culture. Remember I said signs were signs of something else. We've talked about the something else. Now we're just getting to the signs. Depression. Rampant. Very real. I'm not saying depression and anxiety are not real. They are so real. So real. Hopelessness and despair. And all those things lead to this. Not just people, kids, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds, ending their life. I'm gonna, I, I want to close in prayer. And uh, so would you pray? I'm just going to ask you just to respond. A uh, couple of diff- different invitations. If you're here today, and you have, you, you, you just, there's something in your life that just doesn't add up. You, you are bound. Maybe guilt, hopelessness, anxiety. You don't know Jesus. You've never found forgiveness for sins. You've never met God in a very real way. And this morning, God has been speaking to your heart. And you want to know more. You don't need to listen to me finish to learn more. There's a church family here that will help you grow. They will teach you. Pastors that will open the Bible and give you an opportunity to uncover. But right now, you're just, you just know that God's calling you and you want anybody here would want to surrender their life to Jesus. Nobody's looking. Everybody's, everybody's heads are bowed. You just pray this in your heart after me. And then, and then after church, you come talk to me or Pastor Mark or connect with somebody here. But, but if you're here, you want forgiveness and you want hope in your life, and you've never surrendered to Jesus, you just pray these words. Jesus, forgive my sin. Take my life. I give it to you. Make me your child. I will follow you every day of my life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for speaking to my heart today. I surrender to you. And if you prayed that prayer and you meant it in your heart, you need to connect with somebody today, particularly Pastor Mark, so that he knows you're here and he can just start to connect you with a family that loves you and cares for you. My next question is to us who do know Jesus and who follow him. Are you willing to allow the Holy Spirit to teach you about your world? Are you willing and wanting to be relevant to your world? Do you want to understand how people are thinking? Where they're at? You want to know how to talk to a six-year-old in his world or a 16-year-old or a 26-year-old? I guess what I'm asking you above everything else, are you willing to love somebody into the kingdom of God and give yourself to be fruitful for Jesus? Because you don't need to be a Bible college president. 
You don't, you don't need to read a whole bunch of books. You do need to walk with Jesus and read your Bible and love people. You do. You do. And stop thinking about yourself and stop thinking about what goes on in these four worlds and begin to go out into your community and to believe God every day that He can bring somebody across your path and you can make a difference in their life. So Father, I just pray this morning that you would do that in my life, in our lives. Help us to understand our world, to know the signs of our times, to be a blessing. I pray, God, that you just begin to move through this people in Coal Lake. I pray, God, for, for stories, people coming to Jesus, people sharing their faith, what Jesus has done for them and what he means to them, and stories of forgiveness, hope. Thank you, Lord, for your truth that sets us free. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.